the measuring the power number of the impeller was important because as you scale, right, you have to keep either the power number constant or the tip speed constant or the aeration rate constant. Hey, smart scientists. We are in the middle of a conversation with Steve O, the former institute professor at the Bioprocessing Technology Institute at the Agency for Science and Technology, ASTAR in Singapore. He holds 43 patents and published 145 papers, and he is now the scientific advisor to several international companies involved in lentivirus and AAV manufacturing, cryopreservation solutions, biodegradable and edible microcarriers, novel gene delivery methods, cultured meat, and stem cell manufacturing. So if you're asking yourself how to develop a cost-efficient and robust gene and cell therapy process, you are at the right place. And if you haven't listened to part one of our conversation where we talk about the industry trends and the more general challenges of the cell and gene therapy space, please go back and listen to the first part of our conversation. And today, in part two of our conversation, Steve and I talk about the specific challenges of the manufacturing aspects of different cell types. We look at how we choose between the different culturing methods. We're going to look at the engineering aspects, the scale-up aspects. And at the end, Steve is going to give you a simple step-by-step process to get started right away. Coming up in part two right now. Are you juggling the complexities of CMC development while trying to enjoy the beauty of biotech? Have you ever wondered if there's a way to simplify bioprocessing? Welcome to the Smart Biotech Scientist podcast, where we're diving headfirst into the very challenges you face. We're breaking it down, demystifying the jargon and giving you the keys to unlock your full potential. I'm your host, David Brohlman, and I get it. With 15 plus years in the biotech industry, I face the same challenges you do. There's a way to simplify and streamline so you can remove complexity, you can skip trials and errors, deliver without delay your groundbreaking therapy to clinics at market, and still enjoy every single step. Do you want to learn how industry experts and I did it? Grab a cup of coffee and your favorite notebook and pen. Now is the time to take your bioprocessing game to the next level. Let's smarten up biotech. Let's shift gear a bit and let's look at the specific challenges of manufacturing of the different cell types. Yeah, so you're talking about my area of research in ASTAR for the last, I guess, 15 years or so, right? Before I left to become an independent advisor to companies. So for manufacturing of uh, differentiated progenies from stem cells, and we were making like neuroprogenitors, cardiomyocytes, red blood cells, the biggest challenge was the directed differentiation in a bioreactive environment and preventing the cells from spontaneously going wherever they want. We call that spontaneous differentiation. We don't want the cells going to other cell types except the one that we want to make. Plus, this was a multi-stage process. Plus, it was using expensive reagents, growth factors to get to the target cell. So you could start with a stem cell, 
then you go to an early progenitor stage, then a late progenitor stage, then a mature uh, cell stage. And in the red blood cell case, the last step was enucleating the nucleus so that you only get the red blood cells. So these were all very challenging things to control in the stirred environment. And because we had the microcarrot as the support material, and we put laminin on it, so shout out to biolaminin also. We put laminin on it, the cells stayed in the pluripotent state. And then when we pushed them to one stage of differentiation, we had a high percentage, 80 to 90%. And we switched and put it to another media condition, another high differentiation to the third stage and so on. That was really what I spent 15 years trying to solve for three or four cell types. So again, back to the cycle of time scale of therapies. These processes do take many years, you know, 10, 20 plus years to become optimized. And sometimes the discovery of a solution is serendipitous. We, one example was back in, um, I think it was 2015 or so, somebody found a small molecule that could make very high quality cardiomyocytes. Then the field picked up and it became like a standard method to use small molecules to make cardiomyocytes. Because it's a small molecule, it's very easy to implement into a bioreactor. Right? You don't you have to add growth factor A, B, C to get your cardiomyocytes. So that's my kind of 15-year in a nutshell explanation. I hope you got that. Yeah. So now let's look at the manufacturing of these cells because there are different ways or different technologies we can choose from. Can you help us? choose for instance yeah if you're tuning in and you have you want to cultivate these different cell types what kind of culture should we use and why i started talking about this a bit earlier on so typically when you discover a cell type you do all of the work on a petri dish or tea flask or six well plate and it's all plastic based right but once you have to think about growing them at scale you have to put them in floating conditions, suspension condition. So we started screening aggregate cultures, so balls of cells, right? And we also started to screen a wide variety of microcarriers so that they provide that surface that the cells can sit on a round particle and still grow anchorage dependent. But now you can stir away these aggregate cultures and they stay in the stem cell state. Then you drop in your differentiation solution and it becomes the next state. So we screened a lot of different microcarriers and found that a polystyrene-based one with the laminin was the best in keeping the cells in the stable state going into the barrier. And that was what we did for choosing solutions to go into bioreactors. And something we speak a lot about on this channel is scale-up because, yes, you start in the lab, as you've just highlighted, Steve, but at one point you have to think about the scale-up and the next steps. So can you help us understand what types of engineering and fluid dynamics studies and etc. we should use to make the scale-up successful? The measuring the power number of the impeller was important because as you scale, right, you have to keep either the power number constant or the tip speed constant or the aeration rate constant. And you cannot use the same stirring rate at one liter as you are stirring at, say, a thousand liters. So the power number becomes your standard, right? Where if you keep to it, the cells are seeing the same 
intensity of energy at one liter as at a thousand liters. And that was my PhD actually to look at power numbers of different impellers. So it's important to choose impellers that have a constant power number and yet be able to mix well and yet scale to that large volume at the same power number. Let's say the power number is one. At one liter, it'll be stirring 100 RPM. If we keep the power number one at 1,000, that impeller could end up stirring only at 25 RPM, right? Which is very low. But if you can get the cells to respond well at that power number one, 25 RPM would work at 1,000 liters. So that's a very practical use of fluid dynamics. I don't personally so much study the detailed micro eddies and mixing eddies of the reactor themselves. But the overall power number is what I use for scale. And then the second major one is the oxygenation and transfer rate of oxygen to the cells. When you're growing it in small scale, oxygen transfer is not a problem. But if you need to drive up the cell densities to drop your costs, of goods per unit dose, you want to get as high a density as possible. Can you create those oxygen transfer through bubbling? And I said earlier, bubbling is going to damage the cells. So you have to look at giving them enough oxygen at those high densities in with micro or nano bubbles. And that's an open field of research. Maybe some folks on the call are already doing that type of research, but I have not seen any publications, even in the cell biologic space. So that's an option to look at. So mixing on the one hand, based on power numbers, and then oxygenation without damaging the cells by proper disengagement. So now we have done all the homework. We've put in all the reps. We know how to culture the different cell types. We understand. We have the process knowledge. We were able to scale them up. We have looked into the different engineering aspects. Now, there is still one thing missing. We need to look into ways to harvest because finally, I mean, we need to bring these cells back to the patient. So, Steve, what are the different harvest options we have? So, again, this is an area I bring up because I think people should start publishing on this aspect. It's very good to say, yeah, I can get all of these cells, but then they don't look at when I harvest, do the cells still function as well? If I take a sample or if I regrow them, do they still function as well? So there is actually two parts to this. One is the harvesting. And then secondly, is the preservation of the cells. But I'll just talk about the harvesting initially. So there are enzyme-based harvesting. You can use trips and triple, but you can also use double enzyme if cell, cell clusters and aggregates are very tight and very full of matrix, right? You would use the uh, extracellular matrix degradation enzyme first, and then a, another enzyme that digests the protein peptides. If overexposure of an enzyme is an issue, we could look at playing with lower temperatures and also using anti-apoptotic solutions because, again, if you over-digest the cells, you could kill the cells, right? So we could play with temperature and using anti-apoptotic molecules. And on the cryopreservation side, Right at the start, I mentioned DMSO was invented 50 years ago, but it's not going to be the right solution. In fact, some anecdotal comments from the field says that certain immune cell types, like NK cells, may thaw well, but actually when you try to use it to kill, 
they lose the ability to kill all the killing effect is a fraction of the freshly made NK cells. So definitely there needs to be a non-DMSO or multiple non-DMSO solutions to be tested. And there are two or three companies now coming into the space to try to find either conventional known additives which are non-DMSO or completely new entities that will replace DMSO and still be safe for either keeping the cells and thawing them or even infusing them directly after thaw into the patient without having the wash step of DMSO. So those are two major areas of research which I highlight for people to consider spending their careers solving to make cell therapy safer and more potent for the patients. Smart biotech scientists, we have covered a lot of ground, a lot of details. Perhaps you are now wondering, well, where should I get started and how? Steve, can you help us understand in a few simple steps how we should go about when we want to develop a cell therapy process? Okay, so I'll just read this uh, <laughs> because we have a few minutes. I think we will look at screening and choosing the best starting cell line for your production, meaning it has to have the best biological function, but also has the ability to grow well over multiple passages in a barracked environment or a simulated stirred environment. You not only have the biological parameters, but you have the growth parameters and the survivability parameters that the cell is like that your best inverted comma chose cell going into the barrack. That's the most important criteria. Then with that cell line, or hopefully a few cell lines that you grow and bank, having a selection of choices would be great. You develop the best media for growing these cells, serum-free, xenofree media. And then when you get into process development, find the best pH, the dissolved oxygen, the mixing conditions, and uh, feeding conditions for growing those cell types that you want. And then we just talked about develop short, efficient harvesting solutions, non-DMSO freezing and thawing solution. And post-thaw, you should check especially the recovery of and function of those cells post-thaw because the patient sees the stuff that is stored, not the stuff you're making in the barrack. So I, I hope that covers in a nutshell everything that we've been talking about earlier on. Steve, give us the biggest takeaway you want us to wake away from our conversation today. I think to all those people in the leadership and CEOs, I don't know if CEOs will tune into your podcast, but hopefully maybe some of the ground staff will say, hey, CEO or CTO, listen to this podcast. That do not underestimate or under-resource process development to get your consistent and robust product and be very open to different points of view, even when it's not in your wheelhouse. Right? So the wheelhouse of a CEO or CTO is budget, 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 you know, meet the investors' requirements. Yeah. Listen to the guys on the ground who says, if you help me solve this long-term, they will be your savior of your company. <laughs> so I would say that just those two things. Do not underestimate or under-resource process development and be open to different points of views, even when it's not in your area of expertise. Where can people connect with you, Steve? I love to connect through LinkedIn. 
I don't know if you will actually give out my email, but I have a Gmail personal address that you can share with it. And yeah, thank you, David, for this wonderful opportunity to talk very openly, candidly about bar process optimization of cell therapies. It was really a lot of fun today. I hope I recommend a few other good speakers onto your podcast. Yeah, thank you so much, Steve, for sharing that many value bombs and for making it very practical, explaining how we can get started when developing a cell therapy process. So thank you once again for your time, your insights, your expertise for sharing that so openly and freely. It was a big, big pleasure to have you on the show today, Steve. All right. Thank you. All right, smart scientists. That's all for today on the Smart Biotech Scientist podcast. Thank you for tuning in and joining us on your journey to bioprocess mastery. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. By doing so, we can empower more scientists like you. For additional bioprocessing tips, visit us at smartbiotechscientist.com. Stay tuned for more inspiring biotech insights in our next episode. Until then, let's continue to smarten up biotech.